Section twenty eight of the Notebooks of Samuel Butler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Five Pack. The Notebooks of Samuel Butler. Edited by Henry Festing Jones. Chapter twenty one. Rebelliousness. God and Life. We regard these as two distinct things, and say that the first made the second, much as, till lately, we regarded memory and heredity as two distinct things, having less connection than even that supposed to exist between God and life. Now, however, that we know heredity to be only a necessary outcome, development and manifestation of memory, so that, given such a faculty as memory, the faculty of heredity follows as being inherent therein, and bound to issue from it. In like manner, presently, instead of seeing life as a thing created by God, we shall see God and life as one thing, there being no life without God, nor God without life. Where there is life, there is God, and where there is God, there is life. They say that God is love, but life and love are co-extensive, for hate is but a mode of love, as life and death lurk always in one another. And God is life is not far off saying God is love. Again, they say, where there is life there is hope, but hope is of the essence of God, for it is faith and hope that have underlain all evolution. God and Flesh the course of true God never did run smoothly. God, to be of any use, must be made manifest, and he can only be made manifest in and through flesh. And flesh, to be of any use, except for eating, must be alive, and it can only be alive by being inspired of God. The trouble lies in the getting the flesh and the God together in the right proportions. There is lots of God and lots of flesh, but the flesh has always got too much God or too little, and the God has always too little flesh or too much. Gods and Prophets It is the manner of gods and prophets to begin. Thus, thou shalt have none other God or prophet but me. If I were to start as a God or a prophet, I think I should take the line, Thou shalt not believe in me. Thou shalt not have me for a god. Thou shalt worship any damned thing thou likest except me. This should be my first and great commandment, and my second should be like unto it. Footnote. Above all things, let no unwary reader do me the injustice of believing in me. In that I write at all, I am among the damned. If he must believe in anything, let him believe in the music of Handel, the painting of Giovanni Bellini, and in the thirteenth chapter of St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. Life and Habit, close of chapter 2. End footnote. Faith and Reason The instinct towards brushing faith aside and being strictly reasonable, is strong and natural. So also is the instinct towards brushing logic 
and consistency on one side if they become troublesome. In other words, so is the instinct towards basing action on a faith, which is beyond reason. It is because both instincts are so natural that so many accept, and so many reject, Catholicism. The two go along for some time as very good friends, and then fight. Sometimes one beats, and sometimes the other. But they always make it up again, and jog along as before, for they have a great respect for one another. God and the Devil God's merits are so transcendent that it is not surprising his faults should be in reasonable proportion. The faults are, indeed, on such a scale that, when looked at without relation to the merits with which they are interwoven, they become so appalling that people shrink from ascribing them to the deity, and have invented the devil, without seeing that there would be more excuse for God's killing the devil, and so getting rid of evil, than there can be for his failing to be everything that he would like to be. For God is not so white as he is painted, and he gets on better with the devil than people think. The devil is too useful for him to wish him ill, and in like manner half the devil's trade would be at an end, should any great mishap bring God well down in the world. For all the mouths they make at one another, they play into each other's hands, and have got on so well as partners, playing Spinlow and Jorkins to one another for so many years, that there seems no reason why they should cease to do so. The conception of them as the one absolutely void of evil, and the other of good, is a vulgar notion taken from science whose priests have ever sought to get every idea and every substance pure of all alloy. God and the devil are about as four to three. There is enough preponderance of God to make it far safer to be on his side than on the devil's. But the excess is not so great as his professional clackers pretend it is. It is like gambling at Monte Carlo. If you play long enough, you are sure to lose, but now and again you may win a great deal of excellent money if you will only cease playing the moment you have won it. Christianity 1. As an instrument of warfare against vice, or as a tool for making virtue, Christianity is a mere flint implement. 2. Christianity is a woman's religion, invented by women and womanish men for themselves. The church's one foundation is not Christ, as is commonly said. It is woman, and calling the Madonna the Queen of Heaven is only a poetical way of acknowledging that women are the main support of the priests. 3. It is not the church in a village that is the source of the mischief, but the rectory. I would not touch a church from one end of England to the other. 4. Christianity is only seriously pretended by some among the idle, bourgeoisie middle classes. The working classes and the most cultured intelligence of the time reach by shortcuts what the highways of our schools and universities mislead us from by many a winding bout, if they do not prevent our ever reaching it. 5. It is not easy to say which is the more obvious, the antecedent improbability of the Christian scheme and miracles, 
or the breakdown of the evidences on which these are supposed to rest. And yet, Christianity has overrun the world. 6. If there is any moral in Christianity, if there is anything to be learned from it, if the whole story is not profitless from first to last, it comes to this, that a man should back his own opinion against the world's. And this is a very risky and immoral thing to do, but the Lord hath mercy on whom he will have mercy. 7. Christianity is true in so far as it has fostered beauty, and false in so far as it has fostered ugliness. It is therefore not a little true and not a little false. 8. Christ said he came not to destroy but to fulfill, but he destroyed more than he fulfilled. Every system that is to live must both destroy and fulfill. Miracles. They do more to unsettle faith in the existing order than to settle it in any other. Similarly, missionaries are more valuable as underminers of old faiths than as propagators of new. Miracles are not impossible. Nothing is impossible till we have got an incontrovertible first premise. The question is not, are the Christian miracles possible, but are they convenient? Do they fit comfortably with our other ideas? Wants and Creeds As in the organic world there is no organ, so in the world of thought there is no thought which may not be called into existence by long, persistent effort. If a man wants either to believe or disbelieve the Christian miracles, he can do so if he tries hard enough. But if he does not care whether he believes or disbelieves, and simply wants to find out which side has the best of it, this he will find a more difficult matter. Nevertheless, he will probably be able to do this, too, if he tries. Faith 1. The reason why the early Christians held faith in such account was because they felt it to be a feat of such superhuman difficulty. 2. You can do very little with faith, but you can do nothing without it. 3. We are all agreed that too much faith is as bad as too little, and too little as bad as too much, but we differ as to what is too much and what too little. 4. It is because both Catholics and myself make faith, not reason, the basis of our system, that I am able to be easy in mind about not becoming a Catholic. Not that I ever wanted to become a Catholic, but I mean I believe I can beat them with their own weapons. 5. A man may have faith as a mountain, but he will not be able to say to a grain of mustard seed, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, not at least with any effect upon the mustard seed unless he goes the right way to work by putting the mustard seed into his pocket and taking the train to Brighton. 6. The just live by faith, but they not infrequently also die by it. The Cuckoo and the Moon The difference between the Christian and the Mohammedan 
is only as the difference between one who will turn his money when he first hears the cuckoo, but thinks it folly to do so on seeing the new moon, and one who will turn it religiously at the new moon, but will scout the notion that he need do so on hearing the cuckoo. Buddhism This seems to be a jumble of Christianity and life and habit. Theist and Atheist the fight between them is as to whether God shall be called God or shall have some other name. The Peculiar People The only people living in England who really believe in God are the peculiar people. Perhaps this is why they are called peculiar. See how belief in an anthropomorphic God divides allegiance and disturbs civil order as soon as it becomes vital. Renan there is an article on him in the Times, April 30th, 1883, of the worst Times kind, and that is saying much. It appears he whines about his lost faith, and professes to wish that he could believe as he believed when young. No sincere man will regret having attained a truer view concerning anything which he has ever believed. And then, he talks about the difficulties of coming to disbelieve the Christian miracles, as though it were a great intellectual feat. This is very childish. I hope no one will say I was sorry when I found out that there was no reason for believing in heaven and hell. My contempt for Renan has no limits. Has he an accent to his name? I despise him too much to find out. The Spiritual Treadmill the Church of England has something in her liturgy of the spiritual treadmill. It is a very nice treadmill, no doubt, but Sunday after Sunday we keep step with the same old We have left undone that which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, without making any progress. With the Church of Rome, I understand that those whose piety is sufficiently approved are told they may consider themselves as a finished article, and that, except on some few rare festivals, they need no longer keep on going to church and confessing. The picture is complete and may be framed, glazed, and hung up. The Dim Religious Light A light cannot be religious if it is not dim. Religion belongs to the twilight of our thoughts, just as business of all kinds to their full daylight. So a picture, which may be impressive while seen in a dark light, will not hold its own in a bright one. The Greeks and Romans did not inquire into the evidences on which their belief that Minerva sprang full-armed from the brain of Jupiter was based. If they had written books of evidences to show how certainly it all happened, etc., well, I suppose if they had had an endowed church with some considerable prizes, they would have found means to hoodwink the public. The Peace That Passeth Understanding Yes, but as there is a peace more comfortable than any understanding, so also there is an understanding more covetable than any peace. The New Testament if it is a testamentary disposition at all, it is so drawn that it has given rise to incessant litigation during the last nearly two thousand years, and seems likely to continue doing so for a good many years longer. 
it ought never to have been admitted to probate. Either the testator drew it himself, in which case we have another example of the folly of trying to make one's own will, or, if he left it to the authors of the several books, this is like employing many lawyers to do the work of one. Christ and the L and N.W. Railway Admitting for the moment that Christ can be said to have died for me in any sense, it is only pretended that he did so in the same sort of way as the London and North Western Railway was made for me. Granted that I am very glad the railway was made, and use it when I find it convenient, I do not suppose that those who projected and made the line allowed me to enter into their thoughts. The debt of my gratitude is divided among so many that the amount due from each one is practically nil. The Jumping Cat God is only a less jumping kind of jumping cat and those who worship God are still worshippers of the jumping cat all the time. There is no getting away from the jumping cat. If I climb up into heaven, it is there. If I go down to hell, it is there also. If I take the wings of the morning and remain in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, and so on, it is about my path and about my bed and spieth out all my ways. It is the eternal underlying verity or the eternal underlying lie, as people may choose to call it. Personified Science Science is being daily more and more personified and anthropomorphized into a god. By and by they will say that science took our nature upon him and sent down his only begotten son, Charles Darwin, or Huxley, into the world so that those who believe in him, etc., and they will burn people for saying that science, after all, is only an expression for our ignorance of our own ignorance. Science and Theology We should endow neither. We should treat them as we treat conservatism and liberalism, encouraging both, so that they may keep watch upon one another, and letting them go in and out of power with the popular vote concerning them. The world is better carried on upon the barista principle of special pleading upon two sides before an impartial, ignorant tribunal, to whom things have got to be explained, than it would be if nobody were to maintain any opinion in which he did not personally believe. What we want is to reconcile both science and theology with sincerity and good breeding, to make our experts understand that they are nothing if they are not single-minded and urbane. Get them to understand this, and there will be no difficulty about reconciling science and theology. The Church and the Supernatural If we saw the Church wishing to back out of the supernatural and anxious to explain it away where possible, we would keep our disbelief in the supernatural in the background, as far as we could and would explain away our rejection of the miracles as far was decent. Furthermore, we would approximate our language to theirs wherever possible, and insist on the points on which we are all agreed, rather than on points of difference. In fact, we would meet them halfway, and be only too glad to do it. I maintain that in my books I actually do this as much as is possible, but I shall try and do it still more. As a matter of fact, however, the church clings to the miraculous element of Christianity more fondly than ever. She parades it more and more and shows no sign 
of wishing to give up even the smallest part of it. It is this which makes us despair of being able to do anything with her, and feel that either she or we must go. Gratitude and Revenge Gratitude is as much an evil to be minimized as revenge is. Justice, our law and our law courts, are for the taming and regulating of revenge. Current prices and markets and commercial regulations are for the taming of gratitude and its reduction from a public nuisance to something which shall at least be tolerable. Revenge and gratitude are correlative terms. Our system of commerce is a protest against the unbridled license of gratitude. Gratitude, in fact, like revenge, is a mistake, unless under certain securities. Kant and Hypocrisy We should organize a legitimate channel for instincts so profound as these, just as we have found it necessary to do with lust and revenge by the institutions of marriage and the law courts. This is the raison d'etre of the church. You kill a man just as much whether you murder him or hang him after the formalities of a trial, and so with lust and marriage, mutatis mutandis. So again with the professions of religion and medicine. You swindle a man as much when you sell him a drug of whose actions you are ignorant, and tell him it will protect him from disease, as when you give him a bit of bread, which you assure him is the body of Jesus Christ, and then send a plate round for a subscription. You swindle him as much by these acts as if you picked his pocket or obtained money from him under false pretenses in any other way, but you swindle him according to the rules and in an authorized way. Real Blasphemy On one of our Sunday walks near London, we passed a forlorn and dilapidated primitive Methodist chapel. The windows were a good deal broken, and there was a notice up offering ten shillings reward to anyone who should give such information as should lead to the etc. Cut in stone over the door was this inscription, and we thought it as good an example of real blasphemy as we had ever seen. When God makes up his last account of holy children in his mount, twill be an honor to appear as one new-born and nourished here. The English Church Abroad People say you must not try to abolish Christianity until you have something better to put in its place. They might as well say we must not take away turnpikes and corn laws till we have some other hindrances to put in their place. Besides, no one wants to abolish Christianity. All we want is not to be snubbed and bullied if we reject the miraculous part of it for ourselves. At Bila at Bila, an English clergyman asked if I was a Roman Catholic. I said, quite civilly, that I was not a Catholic. He replied that he had asked me not if I was a Catholic, but if I was a Roman Catholic. What was I? Was I an Anglican Catholic? So, seeing that he meant to argue, I replied, I do not know. I am a Londoner, and of the same religion as people generally are in London. This made him angry. He snorted. Oh, that's nothing at all, and almost immediately left the table. As much as possible, I keep away from, from English-frequented hotels in Italy and Switzerland, because I find that if I do not go to service on Sunday, I am made uncomfortable. It is this bullying that I want to do away with, 
As regards Christianity, I should hope and think that I am more Christian than not. People ought to be allowed to leave their cards at church instead of going inside. I have half a mind to do this next time I am in a foreign hotel among English people. Drunkenness When we were at Shrewsbury the other day, coming up the Abbey Foregate, we met a funeral and debated whether or not to take our hats off. We always do in Italy, that is to say in the country and in villages and small towns, but we have been told that it is not the custom to do so in large towns and in cities, which raises a question as to the exact figures that should be reached by the population of a place before one need not to take off one's hat to a funeral in one of its streets. At Shrewsbury, seeing no one doing it, we thought it might look singular and kept ours on. My friend, Mr. Phillips, the tailor, was in one carriage. I did not see him, but he saw me, and afterwards told me he had pointed me out to a clergyman who was in the carriage with him. Oh, said the clergyman, then that's the man who says England owes all her greatness to intoxication. This is rather a free translation of what I did say, but it only shows how impossible it is to please those who do not wish to be pleased. Tennyson may talk about the slow, sad hours that bring us all things ill and all good things from evil, because this is vague and indefinite. But I may not say that, in spite of the terrible consequences of drunkenness, man's intellectual development would not have reached its present stage without the stimulus of alcohol, which I believe to be both perfectly true and pretty generally admitted, because this is definite. I do not think I said more than this, and I am sure that no one can detest drunkenness more than I do. Footnote. No one can hate drunkenness more than I do, but I am confident the human intellect owes its superiority over that of the lower animals in great measure to the stimulus which alcohol has given to imagination, imagination being little else than another name for illusion. Alps and Sanctuaries, Chapter 3 End footnote. It seems to me it will be wiser in me not to try and make headway at Shrewsbury. Hellfire. If Vesuvius does not frighten those who live under it, is it likely that hellfire should frighten any reasonable person? I met a traveller who had returned from Hades, where he had conversed with Tantalus and with others of the Shades. They all agreed that, for the first six or perhaps twelve months, they disliked their punishment very much, but after that it was like shelling peas on a hot afternoon in July. They began by discovering, no doubt long after the fact had been apparent enough to everyone else, that they had not been noticing what they were doing so much as usual, and that they had even been thinking of something else. From this moment, the automatic stage of action having set in, the progress towards always thinking of something else was rapid, and they soon forgot that they were undergoing any punishment. Tantalus did get a little something not infrequently. Water stuck to the hairs of his body, and he gathered it up in his hand. He also got many an apple when the wind was napping as it had to do sometimes. Perhaps he could have done with more, but he got enough to keep him going quite comfortably. His sufferings were nothing as compared with those of a needy heir to a fortune, whose father, or whoever it may be, catches a dangerous bronchitis every winter, but invariably recovers and lives to ninety-one, while the heir survives him a month, having been worn out with long expectation. 
Sisyphus had never found any pleasure in life comparable to the delight of seeing his stone bound downhill, and in so timing its rush as to inflict the greatest possible scare on any unwary shade who might be wandering below. He got so great and such varied amusement out of this that his labor had become the automatism of reflex action, which is, I understand, the name applied by men of science to all actions that are done without reflection. He was a pompous, ponderous old gentleman, very irritable, and always thinking that the other shades were laughing at him, or trying to take advantage of him. There were two, however, whom he hated, with a fury that tormented him far more seriously than anything else ever did. The first of these was Archimedes, who had instituted a series of experiments in regard to various questions connected with mechanics, and had conceived a scheme by which he hoped to utilize the motive power of the stone for the purpose of lighting Hades with electricity. The other was Agamemnon, who took great care to keep out of the stone's way when it was more than a quarter of the distance up the slope, but who delighted in teasing Sisyphus so long as he considered it safe to do so. Many of the other shades took daily pleasure in gathering together about stone time to enjoy the fun and to bet on how far the stone would roll. As for Titius, what is a bird more or less on a body that covers nine acres? He found the vultures a gentle stimulant to the liver, without which it would have become congested. Sir Isaac Newton was intensely interested in the hygrometric and barometric proceedings of the Danaids. At any rate, said one of them to my informant, if we really are being punished, for goodness sake, don't say anything about it, or we may be put to other work. You see, we must be doing something. And now we know how to do this, we don't want the bother of learning something new. You may be right, but we have not got to make our living by it. And what in the name of reason can it matter, whether the sieves ever get full or not? My traveller reported much the same with the regard to the eternal happiness on Mount Olympus. Hercules found Hebe a fool, and could never get her off his everlasting knee. He would have sold his soul to find another Agathus. So Jove saw all this, and it set him thinking. It seems to me, said he, that Olympus and Hades are both failures. Then he summoned a council, and the whole matter was thoroughly discussed. In the end, Jove abdicated, and the gods came down from Olympus and assumed mortality. They had some years of very enjoyable bohemian existence, going about as a company of strolling players at French and Belgian town fairs, after which they died in the usual way, having discovered at last that it does not matter how high up or how low down you are, that happiness and misery are not absolute, but depend on the direction in which you are tending, and consist in a progression towards better or worse, and that pleasure, like pain, and like everything that grows, holds in perfection but a little moment. End of section 28